Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Sounds a little hot. How's this? It's okay. Ah. <laughs> Spared. <clears throat> I want to um, continue tonight with uh, the talk that I um, started uh, last time on seeing practice as a a path of happiness. <clears throat> and um, just a, a little bit of a review and, and maybe even a, a check-in uh, since the last time. Um, remember, there were three principles that I found very helpful from uh, the teachings uh, of the Buddha uh, that really... Uh, seem to be a good foundation for viewing practice in this way. Um, first one is the teaching on uh, wise effort, as Bhante was talking a bit again last night about um, the unwholesome qualities, guarding against those mind states, and when they arise, learning to work with them. Um, and then the wholesome qualities, cultivating them consciously, like mindfulness or metta or um, all the other beautiful qualities of heart. And when they're here to maintain and even increase them um, by being present for them, not with grasping any movement towards grasping even the most beautiful uh, mind state is still grasping. And so just to really be present for it seems to be the most effective way. And then that second principle of um, noticing, as the Buddha said, that gladness connected with the wholesome. The gladness connected with the, the wholesome. I call an equipment of mind to overcome all ill will and hostility. Um, to notice when you're in the middle of a wholesome state, oh, let me be here for this. I'm curious uh, if you've been playing around with that and maybe a little bit more consciously uh, giving some attention when a wholesome state arises. Um, let me see, anybody been doing that? Excellent, okay. For those who didn't, no bad marks, you can't fail this. But just a reminder, this is a really skillful thing to do. And which is really one of the main reasons why I want to continue with this series, just to underscore that. And then the, that third principle teaching that's been mentioned here by uh, a few of us, uh, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. So to know that when you're practicing healthy habits, they start becoming more and more uh, where your mind naturally lands. 
And then as I uh, talked about uh, the end of the, the talk last time, uh, I, I have found a number of different wholesome states that one can consciously cultivate with this in mind as a way to start inclining the mind towards um, well-being and, uh, and joy. Um, and the first one, which I touched on last, last time, was intention, having the intention for well-being, to really put that as a, a central part of, of your life and your practice um, so that you are um, really rooting for yourself. Um, because as, as we said last time, the, the more there can be well-being in here, a sense of completeness and wholeness, the more that uh, all of those beautiful qualities shine through. I'm, I'm curious in that, uh, if you've been playing around with that, you might have gotten in touch with some intention and I had asked you to, uh, to reflect on what really moves or inspires you. Uh, if you've been playing around with that, let me see. Good. Again, keep in touch with that intention because uh, it's, it's really powerful. As, as I said, another way to, to think of it is the, the Buddha's teaching on clear comprehension of purpose. It's getting in touch with what really inspires you to bring out uh, the best in you, bring out all the, the qualities of love and understanding and clarity and, uh, and freedom. <clears throat> so I want to continue now on bringing, uh, exploring a few other of these uh, wholesome states um, and applying these principles. But before we, we move on from intention, um, I wanted to share one particular story that uh, you might, uh, I hope you find helpful around this quality of intention. And um, this is for those who might say, you know, well, I've just had too much dukkha in my life to, uh, to, to really open up to well-being and happiness and joy. And, I, uh, and it's a legitimate thought, or at least a, it's a, an understandable thought, uh, but uh, if that arises in your mind, don't sell yourself short. And that's why I wanted to share this, uh, this story first. Uh, and this is from a, a book that I love called uh, How We Choose to Be Happy, um, written by um, two fellows, Rick Foster and Greg Hicks, who've become friends um, since, uh, since I got into this whole, uh, this whole approach. They live not far from me, and uh, and we, uh, I sought them out, and, um, and they wrote this book, How We Choose to Be Happy. The, the subtitle is The Nine Choices of um, Extremely Happy People. And what they did was do a research project for three years, um, finding uh, certifiably happy people. They found 320 of them, I think, all together. They go to a, 
a town in you know rural uh, Arkansas or uh, someplace like that, and all over the states they traveled in in Europe and Canada and Mexico too, and they'd go in and they'd say, um, and they'd go to a local diner and they'd say, anybody really happy in this town? <laughs> and uh, the people uh, there would say, yeah, Shirley, she is really happy. <laughs> and then they'd go and interview Shirley. Are you happy? Yeah, I'm pretty happy. And then they'd say um, to some of them, can we speak to some other people who know you, your co-workers and your relative, you know, family? And uh, sure, and if they, they'd speak to these people, is Shirley happy? She is really happy. And then they'd say, why are you so happy? You know. So then they did this research of all these people and they distilled nine common denominators with, with these people. A number of them are these same wholesome states. Not all of them, but, but many of them. Anyway, uh, not all of these people, in fact, often these people were not born into good circumstances. And I just wanted to share with you Adele's story. She says, In one horrible 24-month period, my life evaporated. I lost everything. My house burned down to the ground, leaving me with nothing. It was the Oakland fire in 1991. No clothes, photos, furniture, no material reminder of my previous life. During that time, both of my parents died unexpectedly. My husband left me for a younger woman. At the same time, my restaurant went bankrupt. My best friend moved to Seattle even the dog died. <laughs> I had nothing, she says. I was so filled with grief, I thought maybe God was somehow preparing me to die. Everything was gone. Maybe this was some monumental lesson in letting go and that I should let my life go too. But as my initial shock began to clear, a feeling that I wanted to live outweighed all of my thoughts about death. I began to see there was hope among the ashes. There was one big opportunity here. I had a clean slate. As long as I had to start over and create a whole new life, I was going to create a happy one. I wanted to feel whole. I was sure that I wanted to embrace everything in life, the good and the bad. I wanted a feeling of contentment and to feel rested and gentle. I wanted to feel unafraid to feel I could handle anything that came my way. And I wanted to feel this way throughout my life. In spite of my grief, I could see that this all added up to happiness for a lifetime. And Rick and Greg say, she's really um, one of these people, she walks into a room and just lights it up. You can't kind of fake that kind of stuff. And she said, and they share in the book, and, and Rick and Greg share, that um, it, it didn't happen instantly. Actually, she had to go through about five years of just getting through all of that trauma, all of that pain, and processing it all. She made a commitment not to numb herself during all of that time. That was a very important decision. But she just kept on 
opening up to the fact that she had, she could start anew and she wanted to see all the, the good inside and around her. And she, um, she's one of these people that uh, is extraordinary in her, um, her radiance. So just wanted to put that in the hopper for you in case you have some doubt about your own capacity. It's never too late. And in fact, often those who have a lot of dukkha can be more motivated than others. That's how it was for me. Not that I had tremendous external dukkha in my life, but I had a lot of suffering inside. And when I heard, as I mentioned uh, earlier, Joseph saying, you know, it's really possible to free the mind, I said, I'm going for it. So if you have that pain inside, uh, just get in touch with your motivation. It might be time for a change and you face in the right direction and everything follows from that decision. Okay, so that's the, the first of these states. I, I won't get to all 10 of them tonight, but we'll just see how far I go. The second is um, mindfulness, what I call the basic tool for a joyful life. And mindfulness um, is the key, is the, the, the cornerstone for everything uh, to come. Uh, just like the Buddha said, this is the most direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, and grief and despair, pain and anxiety, and realize the highest happiness, this establishment of mindfulness. Why? Well, a few things about it to keep in mind. One is that particularly around these different states, unwholesome and wholesome states, mindfulness has a unique property. It is the one mental factor that weakens all the unwholesome ones and strengthens all the wholesome states. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? And you might be sitting there saying, you know, breathing in, breathing out, what's the big deal? We just had another a breath a moment ago. Do I really have to be here for this one? But each moment of mindfulness, you are weakening the forces of gra grasping, greed, aversion, and confusion, and you are strengthening the forces of openness, friendliness with the moment, generosity, and wisdom. So this is one way that it works. It weakens all the unwholesome and strengthens all the wholesome. And you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to say, you know, well, let's see, am I weakening something here? No, don't try to think about that at all. You just be mindful, just throw yourself into this moment and that's all you need to do. And you've, I'm sure, seen that for yourself. Maybe you don't even understand why you're just doing your practice, but somehow there's a little bit more space at times. Somehow, you just maybe feel more connected 
at times, not all the time, and it's not a linear kind of a thing, but you have probably seen, everybody's seen in some way how the power of mindfulness works to open you, to deepen your sense of trust and connection and love. It works. One way that it works in a practical level, as I'm sure you've seen, is when you're in the middle of your stories and all of a sudden you realize you are creating a story, ah, what freedom that is. Have you seen that? You've probably seen it many times even today. You know, you wake up, wow, where was I the last 30 seconds or three hours? It doesn't matter when. You wake up when you wake up. But all of a sudden you wake up and say, if you understand the practice, oh, I was just lost. Oh, my mind just created this fabrication, this world that I was believing. Oh, wow. So it interrupts that those negative thoughts and actually they, they dissolve when you're not messing around with them. I, I love the Tibetan teaching that when you don't, mess with thoughts, they just self-liberate. Just on their own, they unwind and unravel. And this works both in the, the formal practice here and out in our lives as well. wanted to share with you a, a, a wonderful anecdote that uh, points to this. This is from um, uh, about our dear friend Sylvia Borstein, who's a uh, beloved uh, teacher at Spirit Rock and um, beloved author. And uh, she came to the Awakening Joy class that I, uh, that I do, and she was telling this story about how, um, how mindfulness works, about how it interrupts the negative thought pattern. So she was, she was describing about... Um, staying in New York City, and she'd arranged to meet a friend for a theater performance, and she decided to take a bus to get there. And she says, uh, uh, as the bus crept along the heavy traffic, she started worrying. She says, I'm going to be late. I'll miss the curtain. My friend will worry about what happened to me. I shouldn't have taken the bus. The subway would have been so much faster. And then she figured she could walk faster than the bus was going. And as she got off, she says, of course, as I'm walking, the bus passes me by. <laughs> and now I'm thinking I should have taken a cab. Uh, Sylvia has been meditating for a long time, but by her own admission, she's also been fretting for a long time. And so it was natural that that reaction could arise. But so she continues her story and she says, uh, she describes, she's running down Broadway in high heels with a cold wind whipping around her. And then she says, all of a sudden I have the thought, what am I doing? Oh, I'm grumbling. That's a moment of mindfulness. 
Up until then, I was caught up in a habit-driven narrative, an editorial comment about what was happening. But the moment at which the mind says, Sylvia, dear, you're grumbling. The lens switches, and suddenly the truth of that moment is I'm a 71-year-old woman running down Broadway in the middle of winter in high heels. That is far out. (laughs) That is an extremely fortunate thing to be able to do. It changed everything. I felt proud, and I actually hoped a lot of people saw me. Just in a moment, you can have a different take on what's going on in here. And you can laugh at it, laugh at this crazy mind, realize you're not alone, and step out of your story. There's a line I love by uh, Pema Chodron. I've shared it in a few interviews. When you're really in the middle of the dukkha, really in the thick of things, and then all of a sudden you see that you've been in the thick of things, you've got two choices. One is, oh my God, I get so lost. I can't believe it again, again. That's not the recommended response. Another one, as Pema Chodron says, take delight in that which sees the dukkha. Take delight in the awareness that seeing, oh, you got lost, dear. Oh, dear, you're you're just grumbling. Oh, dear, you're just confused. Oh, dear, you're just frustrated. Oh, how freeing. Take delight in the seeing. Don't spend time beating yourself up for having been lost. You woke up. No need to spend any extra time. That's the time to bring compassion and kindness. And as you probably have also seen, I'm sure, when you're here, when you're really here, isn't it fun sometimes to just be here? You know, you don't have to, again, I'm not looking for testimonies, But you've probably seen at times when you don't need to add anything on and you're just here, how simple and how enjoyable. It's like your mind is just resting in this moment. Oh, wow. And you're connected with life. And there's a kind of fullness and completion where you don't need to add anything or take anything away. And it can be just as simple as Knowing you're breathing, knowing there's a sound, knowing here's a sensation. Clarity feels really good. And so more and more, I hope you're getting that you start to love the moment. You start to fall in love with the moment. Why be anywhere else when you see oh, this is so uncomplicated. Oh, this is so connecting. Even the moments that are difficult, oh, especially if you can take delight, 
oh, I'm here though. I'm not lost, I'm not confused. And so I hope more and more you're getting that sense of loving the moment. And this is where, if you're feeling that wholesome state of just delighting in being here, that's part of the moment too that the Buddha says, don't miss the wholesome state. Here I am, mm, wow, just here. It's so nice to be here. Oh, let's feel this landscape of delight, of ease and calm or connection. Oh, this feels so good. It's okay to let yourself feel it. Just be careful not to grasp onto it or be afraid that it'll go. It will go, but why miss it? Because the more you're, you're tuned into it, the more you can notice it when it arises. So interrupting the negative, waking up, loving the moment, and also as we've said, that when you bring mindfulness to a wholesome state, it amplifies it, it deepens it. As uh, Rick Hansen, I mentioned him last time, uh, that neuroscience expert says that mindfulness uh, in a neuro, neurologically way, he thinks of it as shining a spotlight and a vacuum cleaner. And this is what he says, when you're aware of a wholesome state, you are paying attention to it and it makes it that much more vivid. And the vacuum is a kind of sculpting, deepening the neural pathways in there. It's just, it's like sucking in that mindfulness and deepening the grooves. If you really want to get into feeling groovy. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. And you can think of mindfulness as an appreciation practice. It's just opening up to this moment, which has never been here before and will never be here again. This is a moment of your life. So that's why it's the uh, foundation or the, the tool to apply to any other wholesome state that arises. So I'll, I'll go on to another one, which I'm sure you've touched most everybody because it's an, so natural in that arises from, from practice. But to really take it in and not miss it when it's here. And that's the state of gratitude. Have you noticed one of the ways that mindfulness works is it creates more space in the, in the mind and in the heart too, and the heart starts to open up. Have you noticed those moments of gratitude? <clears throat> Don't miss them. Gratitude, as one teacher uh, talks about it, one Tibetan teacher, he says, gratitude is like putting out your satellite dish. That is, if you're, if you're busy grumbling and complaining and saying, 
oh, this is wrong and that's wrong and this is how it's not working and all of that. That contraction of mind and heart keeps you from noticing and being open to all the goodness. Remember I talked about confirmation bias last time. If you look for what's wrong, that's what your brain picks out and you miss all the beauty. But as gratitude starts to um, develop and deepen, the slightest little thing can touch your heart. Speaking to somebody just the other day in an interview, you know, something as simple as, you know, looking at the leaves on the trees, wow, or all the life around, or the fact that, oh, I'm taking this step and I'm actually here and I'm alive. And there's a line I love from uh, Albert Einstein. He says, there's two ways to go through life. One is seeing nothing as a miracle, and the other is seeing everything as a miracle. Go for the latter. Because it is. I mean, the fact that you're here, that, do you ever ask how you got here? It's, I always think of this old uh, uh, talking head song here. You may ask, how did I get here? It's a great thing to ask. How is it that life came into this form as me? It's amazing. And the more you start to see the miracles all around you, uh, the more you want to be here for it. It's really so profound to open up to life it's really saying yes to life. <clears throat> and all it is is a change of attitude and relationship to what's here. Sometimes, I don't, did I, did I mention here about uh, um, the whiner? Um, no, I don't think it did. I did from have to, no, I didn't. I, I taught this weekend at, at uh, Vermont and I, I told it there, so, okay. So here's, here's a, a, a story that you might relate to on, uh, in your own practice. I was teaching, it was a, a month long at, at Spirit Rock, and this, um, this woman came in, um, who I, I know, I've known her for, for some time, and she came in and she said, she, she was looking at her mind, and she saw, she said, I sit down, and no matter what happens, Everything is a drag. I'm sitting there in the sitting meditation and the bell rings and my mind says, oh, now I have to do walking meditation. <laughs> then she does walking meditation, the bell rings, now we have to go and sit, you know. Even meals, now we have to go eat lunch, you know. And she said, no wonder I'm miserable inside. I'm whining to myself all day. And she said, anything you can, you can think of to, you know, how can I change this? And something just came through me and I, I said, uh, well, what if you change have to to get to? 
bell rings. Oh, now we get to do walking meditation. Now we get to sit. Now we have lunch. Now I get to go to the bathroom. Now I get to take a shower. And she tried that and she came back in a a few days later and she said, everything is different. It's just a change of attitude. I think I mentioned that Christmas Humphreys line, the one miracle this path has to offer is a change of heart. It's just a little tweak of relationship. And the interesting thing is it stuck because months later, she lives in my neighborhood and I, and I uh, ran into her and she said, you know, I'm still doing it. And it's just really, it's shifted things. What a simple little tweak. Notice if you're whining to yourself, be kinder. Oh, now we get to whine. Now we get to do whatever you want to do, but think of it as the next thing. And then instead of it being this heavy-duty assignment, it just becomes an adventure. So playing around with that gratitude uh, and then applying mindfulness to it, uh, something really powerful happens just by tuning into that wholesome state and letting it, um, letting it really, really register. I'd like to do a little simple gratitude practice with you right now. So I invite you to close your eyes, sit here. And bring to mind some blessing in your life. Someone or something that you're grateful to or grateful for. And have an image that helps you connect to this blessing. And as you get in touch, just give a simple silent thank you right from your heart to that person or to life. Thank you. And now, just let yourself feel that. Notice how it feels in your body and in your mind, your heart. Thank you. The landscape of gratitude. Take a nice deep breath. And bring another blessing to your heart. There's probably so many, someone or something. And bring an image. And once again, uh, just a silent thank you right from your heart. Oh, thank you. And then just enjoy that feeling, that capacity to appreciate. Oh, thank you.
do one more, take a nice breath. And one more blessing in someone or something. Call an image so you connect with it. And then a simple thank you right from your heart. Oh, thank you. This too. And then just relax in that feeling. <coughs> just don't miss it. That wasn't too hard, was it? It's so, just a moment. Oh yeah. And when you not only feel grateful, but know how gratitude feels, it deepens it. I think I said it last time. It's one thing to know, oh, I'm feeling pretty good now. It's a whole other level to know, oh, this is what it feels like to feel good. Why miss it? It's free. Here it is for you. So you might actually even think of um, your mindfulness practice as an appreciation practice. The Buddha said in the the Blessing Sutta, the the Mangala Sutta, to be content and grateful. This is a blessing supreme. He really encouraged and suggested this. And again, lest you think that it's, um, it's not in your makeup or temperament, wanted to um, share another story about the possibility of change. And this is uh, really the, the most precious story in all of teaching this stuff uh, of awakening joy. And this is the story of uh, my mom who um, some of you might know uh, because she's a YouTube star. Um, how many people have seen the video of my mom? A uh, few of you, okay. If you go to YouTube at the end of the retreat, um, <laughs> Confessions of a Jewish Mother, and the subtitle is How My Son Ruined My Life. <laughs> it's over a half a million views now because she's very funny. And she passed away um, at the age of 94, uh, about uh, four years ago. Uh, Anyway, my mom, bless her heart, um, as she says in the the video, was the quintessential um, Jewish mother. um, And Jewish mothers are known to complain. Kvetch. And um, my mom, uh, who had a great sense of humor and uh, really sharp, uh, but she knew that about herself. And I was, I was visiting her down in L.A. I, I live up in Berkeley and she lived down in L.A. right near my sister. My sister was going away for a few weeks uh, on a vacation and we all agreed I'd go and visit my mom for, uh, for about a week. 
Um, and I really enjoyed um, being around my mom um, by that time in our relationship. <laughs> it took a while to get there. But, uh, and this is when she was 89. And um, so we spent uh, a, a really, well, an extraordinary week. And I was writing the chapter on gratitude for, for this book. And I had all of this research with me on the power of gratitude. It improves your immune system, your social relationships are better, uh, you take better care of yourself, and just on and on, so many things. And I was reading this to her and I said, um, Mom, what do you think of all that? She said, that's very impressive. And I said, hey Mom, what if you tried a gratitude practice? She rolled her eyes and said, James, I know my life is blessed, but I have been seeing the negative for a long time. I don't think I'm about to change right now. And then I said, I was curious, I just was innocent. I said, let me ask you, if you could change, would you change? And she said, yeah, if I could, I would, but don't hold your breath. And then I said, you know, it's all the way you hold it. Like you can complain, you know you're grateful and then complain, or you can complain and know you're grateful. Like you can say, oh, this uh, TV reception, um, I can say, I, let me put it the other way. I know my life is blessed, but this TV reception is driving me crazy. Or you could say, this TV reception is lousy, and I know my life is blessed. And she said, yeah, I, I see that. I said, well, how about if every time you complain, I'll just re remind you of what you know. And she said, what do you mean? So I said, well, so every time you complain, suppose you, you uh, complain, you say, um, Oh, it's so cold here in Marina del Rey, California, this is. Oh, it's so cold. And I say, and? And you say, and my life is very blessed. And she said, okay. Because she did have that kind of, she liked to play games. We were playing Scrabble in, during this whole thing. She was a great Scrabble player. Uh, loved to beat me. Um, no mercy at all. Um, and so every time she'd complain, I'd say, and it was the most amazing week. I was very attentive. And as the complaints rolled off her tongue, <laughs> one after another, and, oh yeah, my life is very blessed. And we laughed the whole week. Because after a while, she started seeing how incessant her mind was around this. And by the end of the week, she was starting to kind of say, oh, that's pretty interesting. And I called a lot after the first, when I got home, the first couple of weeks. Hi, Mom, how you doing? And, yeah. <laughs> and a friend of hers was in on the joke on the game uh, down there and also played it with her. My sister came back and my sister had uh, very similar tendencies to my mom. And one of her first comments was, what did you do to mom? 
It took her a little while to get used to it. But the last five years of her life, this was a central piece. Every conversation, she do her share of complaining, but it was always, and we're so blessed, every conversation. And she wrote me um, a poem um, a few months after, seven months later, it was my birthday, and we always exchanged poems in our, uh, in our family on birthdays. We would write poems. So she wrote this poem to me, um, and she makes reference to the fact that uh, her, um, she was losing her eyesight to macular degeneration, so there's a reference to it. And this is what she says. 90 is just fine with me. I no longer rant and rave about where the world is heading and my exclusive job to save. I wallow in contentment and know that I am blessed, awakening to the joy of living at its best. I'm happier than I've ever been and truly mean each word. The thoughts that cause the worries now all seem so absurd. Though my eyesight has been dimmed, I see clearer than before, the glass is not half empty, it's overflowing to be sure. If my mom can change at 89, anyone can change. And that's why it's been so popular because, and she is very funny, and people are saying, I showed it to my father, you know, I showed, she was getting contacted from people who hadn't seen her in, in 40 years saying, my son showed me this YouTube and there you were, Selma, you know. <laughs> it is inspiring to see that, that change is possible. So when you happen to be in your practice feeling gratitude, feeling a sense of appreciation, just the fact that you're here and giving this to yourself, that's a, a good, um, good source of, of appreciation. Don't miss it. Let yourself experience it. It's very wholesome. When it goes, it goes. But to maintain and increase that wholesome state is a, is a skillful thing to do. So intention, mindfulness, gratitude. I'll just touch on a couple of others. The fourth in, out of these 10 is opening to dukkha as a direct path to joy. Uh, it was mentioned here before, you know, suffering wakes us up and there's a, a beautiful teaching, Transcendental Dependent Arising. Uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi has a, a, a great essay on it, um, uh, if you want to look it up, where this teaching starts off suffering. This is the end of the dependent origination, old age, sickness, and death conflated into suffering. Suffering can lead to faith. Faith can be the causative factor for gladness. Gladness can lead to joy, 
can lead to contentment and peace in the highest stages of awakening. But suffering can lead to faith. The first step, two steps in this link. You might think, how is that possible? Suffering leads to faith? And we looked at, uh, this was asked the other day, I'll just ask you now, how many people have been motivated by suffering to look for answers in their life that led them to practice? Look around, that's how it works. So when you're going through the dukkha, don't think, oh, this is some terrible mistake, because while you're going through it, you are developing courage and strength and patience and compassion and spaciousness and wisdom and love. All of those qualities that you wouldn't know you had in you unless you were needing to call on them. And the more you're able to open to them and allow the dukkha to be held, the greater the joy that's there. You know, Guy uh, showed the book, the, the Book of Joy by uh, Desmond Tutu and, and the Dalai Lama. And both of those people, as was said, know a lot of suffering, more than we could probably comprehend. Uh, losing a country and so many people tortured or or being in the, the grips of apartheid. And yet, they are joyful. Why? Because they open to the suffering and the dukkha fully, and it doesn't stick. They feel it fully, and it moves through, and then they can be open to the next thing. Whether it's dukkha, they're not afraid of it, or whether it's joy, they welcome it. It's interesting, it's so fascinating how that works. This is a, a poem I love, a Dana Falls poem. Every step is holy, this is. She says, the journey from the known to the unknown, from the unreal to the real, is rarely revealed in advance. The potholes, detours, false starts, and quick retreats are each honorable and even needed in the bigger scheme, in the forest that can't be seen between the trees. It took years for me to realize that the very twists and turns and shadows I labeled problems were really sacred ground, grace disguised as obstacles. The whole path, a pilgrimage, mysteries bearing themselves before me all along the way. So every time that you are able to open up to dukkha and come out the other end and say, yeah, or even in the middle of it, hold it with compassion and hold it with tenderness don't miss it. Ah, take delight in that which is seeing and holding the dukkha. How extraordinary. Just think of all the people in this world who don't have a clue how to open up to their pain and their sorrow. 
who just become more embittered or contracted or fearful. And here we are learning to turn suffering into compassion. That's amazing. Don't miss it. So I'll, I'll just do one more wholesome state, which um, I know you've been working on in, in some ways or other through the, through the uh, Brahma Vihara practices and um, uh, the whatever self-compassion you're giving. And that's uh, really learning to love ourselves or at least starting by being kind to ourselves. That what we're doing here is making friends with ourselves, with everything, and not only learning to tolerate and accept, but hopefully more and more see the beauty and the goodness inside. Let's see, I have this. Ah, here it is. Yoshal Kempo. I don't know if I share this. Here it is again. Buddha nature. The essence of awakened enlightenment itself is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing Buddha nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. Whether you call it Buddha nature or uh, the Buddha within, when you take refuge in the Buddha, you're seeing, oh, there's something good and pure the seed of awakening right here inside, and more and more learning to identify that and see it within you. So I think I, I want to um, end with sharing uh, a, um, a meta practice that was really a turning point for me in my own practice that uh, you might find helpful as you're starting to uh, get to know yourself better. You probably, many have seen that sometimes it's not so easy to, um, to send love, loving kindness to ourselves. And yet it's so important. And that's why we traditionally start out with loving kindness towards ourselves. And then we can extend it to others. So I was doing a, a period of... Um, Brahma Vihara practice here. I was here in, at, at IMS and doing six weeks of Brahma Vihara practice. And um, the first week was metta towards self. And it was going okay. It wasn't great. 
but it was I wasn't giving myself a hard time. I was just kind of saying the phrases and okay, just trusting. And about halfway through this week, um, somebody came to my mind who I knew really loved me. It was very clear. And the thought came to me, this would be so easy if I just saw what they saw. And then I asked myself, oh, what do they see? Why do they love me? And that's when I hit upon this practice that I want to just share with you as another uh, support for your metta for self. Now just try this. Close your eyes, go inside. And bring to mind someone who you share a really um, warm, loving connection with. Can be a dear friend, or a, can be a pet, or a child, or just some other being that there's this easy flow and loving connection with. And then bring them right into your consciousness. Just imagine they're right here in front of you and smiling back at you, maybe saying, oh, thanks for picking me. <laughs> and just feel that connection first, that flow between you. How sweet, that unique connection that we have. Each person, it's a different connection that we share. And just enjoy this one. And now imagine that your consciousness can inhabit their reality and look through their eyes and see who they see when they're with their dear friend. Why do they enjoy being around you? What do they see? Your kindness or your playfulness or your sincerity or your uh, creativity or n notice all of it. Don't leave anything out. How you touch them. And from that vantage point, just see if this person, their friend, deserves to be happy. That's all they would probably wish for you. Oh, may you see who you really are in there. Maybe just send yourself a little metta from that, from their vantage point. May you really see everything inside, all the goodness. And now let your consciousness come back so that it's right inside and from the inside, stay connected to all of those beautiful qualities that your friend sees. And just wish yourself well, either a first person or second person, may I see all the goodness inside or may you see all the goodness inside and really be happy. Just wish that for yourself.
And if you have a glimpse of what your friend sees, you can't pretend anymore that you're not worthy of love and kindness. You just keep on getting in touch with what shines through you, whether or not you realize it. I mean, that's the thing. You're the, usually the last one to see. But I, I like to ask this. Just imagine meeting somebody who really liked your sense of humor and uh, enjoyed your taste and really understood your, the, your take on things, who really got you. How would you feel about meeting somebody who really gets you? Wouldn't you be happy? There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. <laughs> Only one. Unfortunately, they're right inside your own skin. But if you met yourself from the outside, you'd be saying, where have you been all my life? Finally, I met the coolest person in the world. And yet, isn't it amazing how we don't see it? And Albert Einstein has this, this phrase, we live in an optical delusion of consciousness where we can't see from our own perspective what everybody else sees. So start seeing who your friends see. Start seeing how life has manifested perfectly in this form. Start really being kind to yourself and forgiving yourself and even enjoying yourself. Why not? Everybody wins. And when you do get a glimpse of that kindness, don't miss it. Let it really land. Oh, it's not a fluke. And I'm not doing something wrong. Oh, it's a really good person in here. When I did that, by the way, and there was that, it was a major moment in my own practice. It wasn't like I was the most amazing person in the world. It was just, you know, you're okay. That was it. That was all I needed. You know, you're really okay. You're really a, a decent guy. Oh, wow, it's true. I think I am. You are. Don't miss it. So I just hope with, as we're going through this, you, you keep on getting the, the power of, of noticing those beautiful, wholesome states when they arise and, and just let them really register and, and deepen your practice. That's what allows you to open up and hold all the dukkha as well. Yeah, there's dukkha and there's sukkha, but the, the greater the container, the more you're able to hold everything. So let's just sit for a moment.
you very much for your attention. <clears throat> Enjoy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.